podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. And we're back here at Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. We- of Central. My name is Ross McLeod. His name is David Hockney. David, I usually say when someone is on quite a few Centrals in a row that, you know, it's starting to get boring. We're talking about the same things. <laughs> I think one thing we can't accuse the last few weeks of being in wrestling is boring. Oh, definitely not. No, it's um, like every week in the last sort of few weeks, there's always been one major talking point. And, you know, whether it be good or bad, it evokes conversation. And, you know, I think as fans, as long as there's plenty to talk about, you know, you can never really have a dull show. Yeah, well, that wrestling might not have been boring, but that explanation was. But we'll move swiftly on, David. We'll try and pick up the Oh, here. listen, just, just call me monotonous or boring or whatever. I'm basically the, the Poundland Johnny Vaughn anyway. <laughs> We are on ESSR's flagship show. We are on Centro, and if you want to listen to the massive back catalogue of previews, reviews, interviews, and all the news, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet is available on iTunes, Spotify, and all good Android podcasting sites. At Suplex Retweet, if you want to get involved in the conversation, which we'll talk about later on, uh, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you name it. We're on it at Suplex Retweet. Right. So, first up on this week's agenda, WWE Payback coming your way from. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at the PBG Paints Arena. Saturday, September 2nd, there was six matches on the card and a Grayson Waller effect. I'll just read the results out for you now. Spoiler alert, obviously. Becky Lynch defeated Trish Stratus in a steel cage match. Ellie Knight defeated The Miz in a singles match in which John Cena, as someone revs up their car outside my window, as John <laughs> Cena, the special guest referee for that match. Rey Mysterio defends his United States title against Austin Theory. The Judgment Day won a Steel City street fight for the Undisputed WWE Tag Team Championships, defeating Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. Rhea, Rhea Ripley, easy for me to say, Rhea Ripley, Raquel Rodriguez, try saying that five times fast, had <laughs> a match for the Women's World Championship in which Rhea Ripley came out on top. And in the main event, Seth Freakin' Rollins defends the World Heavyweight Championship against Shinsuke Nakamura. Oh, and the small matter of Jey Uso being reinstated, and he's now part of the Raw roster. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> okay. Uh, David, what match to you stuck out? What do you want to review first? Oh, I'm stuck between two, but I think um I think we've got to talk about the cage match. Like that over delivered in a lot of ways. Well, especially I mean, I after the especially after the feud went cold, you know, when it was supposed to finish at SummerSlam. Yeah, I think obviously some injuries and uh, some things being moved around, unfortunately did make the feud feel like it was dragging out a bit. However, this actual match itself was 20 minutes and it flew by, absolutely flew by. Um, Pardon me. Trish Stratus, um, you can say many things about her, but you cannot say she's not entertaining. I loved every minute of her healing up inside that cage. Oh, she did brilliant. You know, I think she had total control over the first, like, five, ten minutes or so. Like just making the most of the the cage itself and just beating Becky down, but 
I think after that initial beatdown, that's when things really started to pick up. You know, Becky hitting Trish off the cage so often that it ended up with a massive bruise on her forehead. Like that's the brutality you'd expect from a from a cage match. And obviously being the, the snarky heel, you know, she tries to escape multiple times rather than trying to get the, the clean win. So heel character played to perfection, utilizing Zoe Stark's assistance on the outside as well. She ju- she knows what to do in these match types and she just maximized it to full effect. I did love I did love the fact that <laughs> There was a guy in the front row going, Becky Lynch is going to beat you. And before he got the sentence out, she was his face and went, like, ah, fuck up. <laughs> like, like, Jesus, Trish, just calm it down. It's still a PG save show at the end of the day. Save some savagery for the rest of us. Um, I did love, as you mentioned, uh, Zoe Stark's being utilised in this match. Have people not seen a steel cage match in their life? Like, this was... This is why we introduced Hell in the Cells because the heels kept climbing in the cage. Oh, we're going to have a cage match to keep to keep Raquel out. Can she climb? Yeah. Has she climbed a big fence before? Yeah, I think she'll be fine. <laughs> but wrestling one hundred and one, um, as well as you mentioned, some of the punishment Trish Stratus took, the bruise to the face, the superplex from the top of the cage, eh, not from the top of the cage. Eh, Basically, it kind of was off the top of the cage, wasn't it? I'm misremembering it. There's been far too much wrestling since Saturday, all right? We're on Wednesday now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you'll know what I talk about when we get to it. Yeah, um, de- definitely one of the better cage matches I've ever seen. But I think what also stood out was that Trish paid homage, Trish and Becky paid homage to Victoria and Lita, who were the first women to compete in a cage match in WWE. So Trish pulling off the Widow's Peak, Becky pulling off the Twist of Fate. I th- they remembered, you know, the original women's cage match, and I think that was a nice homage to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And especially seeing as Lita has been intertwined in this feud, it was nice to have a wee homage to her while not having to see her wrestle again, because Lita, your time has come. Trish, you're timeless. You can wrestle forever. Lita, what was what, what was it you said on the, uh, the studio episode of Central? Like, Trish pulling off a stratosphere or a a stratisfaction bulldog takes a lot of effort, especially when she's not a full-time performer. Lita struggles with kicking. Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) it was nice to pay homage, but nice to move on swiftly (laughs) (laughs) and not have Lita back involved in this. Uh, The aftermath of this cage match uh, makes me wonder what happens with Trish Stratus' future. Uh, Zoe Starks and her get into a bit of a scuffle after it. Zoe shuts the cage door. Her and Trish get in each other's face. Uh, Z360 is an absolute sensational finishing move. Yeah. Uh, she hits her with that and she walks away. I originally thought it was going to be a face turn, but no, it looks like after we've seen on Raw, her and Shayna might have a wee uneasy alliance. I just, I really hope this is not a, a new tag team forming because I've had it with Shayna and tag teams. I want to see her get a singles run. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's another story for another day Trish and Becky, absolutely sensational cage match I will move on to because I'm going to be honest LA Knight and The Miz was a match, it was decent Rey Mysterio and Austin Theory was okay but the Judgment Day versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, the Steel City street fight for the Tag yes. Team Championship This I, was outstanding I absolutely loved how 
the Judgment Day through everything at KO and Sammy, and it took everything to get the titles. It took Dirty Dom, it took Rhea Ripley, it took JD McDonough, it took every crooked, underhanded thing in the book to eventually get the win. But I was so happy because, honestly, I thought this was going to be another Finn Balor title loss because I... It's one thing surviving a world title feud. If you go right into a tag title feud and then lose that as well, I think the the group starts to lose a bit of bit of steam. The group starts to lose a bit of credibility. There's only so many big matches you can lose. But now every member of the Judgment Day dripping in gold. Mm. Yeah, they've they've clearly finally put all the eggs in the Judgment Day basket now that the bloodline is no more. So they need a top stable to run the WWE. And to be fair, Judgment Day has been brilliant the last few months. You know, Rhea Ripley Ripley practically calling the shots. Dirty Dom still being a a massive heat magnet. And then you've got Balor and Priest, who, albeit they do have their squabbles, are actually a pretty effective team, all things considered. And some of the spots they pulled off in this match were just unreal, especially when, like, Dom got involved. Yeah, absolutely. And I like the... Obviously, we mentioned before that this was the natural successor to the Bloodline story. I liked how Rhea referenced this on Raw, saying the Bloodline has fallen and Judgment Day now runs WWE. Mm-hmm. I am all in on Judgment Day right now. As am I. I know it's going to end eventually, but I don't want it to end eventually. Let's just enjoy it for what it's worth. You know, all good things will come to an end, but you just have to savour it. What about uh, Keo and Sammy? Where do you think they go for here? <sighs> Difficult to say, because obviously Sammy appeared on Raw having that interaction with Jey Uso. I know my dog and stuff, you know, a bit of a reunion there. I think, I don't know if Kevin's still dealing with some nagging injuries or not, because he took a lot of punishment in that match, especially when he did a, a Jeff Hardy-style swanton bomb from the from like the, the the seating area from the top of the railing through Dom onto a table. I don't know if he got a full clean connection either, so he could have easily hurt his back on that fall. But he got uh, he got busted open as well, but he was cleaned up pretty quickly. So I don't know if maybe he's just taking a rest or not. Whereas Sami Zayn, at least he's got an alternate direction, you know, interact with Jey Uso again on Raw. Maybe they could team up for a bit. Yeah, no, well, let's talk about Jey Uso because reintroduced to an absolute eruption from the <laughs> crowd. Uh, I was, I could not find the word, so eruption's going to have to do. Rapturous, that's what it was. Rapturous applause to the from the audience. Um, Cody Rhodes introduces him, says, "I hope I know what I'm doing," and he he leaves it. He brings him over, and I like that. It wasn't just, hey, I'm a good guy now. I liked the interaction with Drew. I liked the interaction with Riddle. I liked how Sammy was trying to vouch for him. I liked how uh, Drew has said he's keeping an eye on him. And uh, if anything happens, he holds Cody Rhodes responsible. And we look into the future, hopefully, a Cody Rhodes-Drew McIntyre feud. Don't mind if I do. And I... I like how, like, it's not just, hey, I'm a good guy now, we'll team together. I like how there's still bad blood between everyone because he did make a lot of people's lives hell for, like, the Mm -hmm. last three years. 
continuity. Like, this is something that, you know, Vince McMahon's WWE was terrible at doing. It's almost like it this, the, the storyline ends, like, uh, it's clean slates all round. Not this time. Everybody remembers what the bloodline did to them. So they haven't necessarily forgiven him, even though Jay has broken off from the bloodline. That's the continuity I want to see going forward, because not only does it, you know, sow the seeds for potential feuds in the future, but it also creates the possibility for a really good story to be told. Yeah, absolutely. Let's touch on the main event. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura versus uh, Seth Rollins. Bit of ambiguity going into this match. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, nobody really really thinking that Shinsuke had a chance, but then at the same time thinking, oh my God, you know, Seth's back. Is this, you know, and then with the anime uh, thing at the start of uh, Shinsuke's entrance and the big entrance that he got, I really thought he's winning this year. He's winning this. And then even at the end of the match, I thought this can't be it. Damien's got to cash in at some point. Like, Mm -hmm. what's happening here? But no, Seth Rollins... Retaining the title in a pretty solid, if unspectacular, match against Shinsuke Nakamura. That's what I was going to say. It felt it felt like it was missing something. Not that it wasn't a solid match, especially with the story of Shinsuke targeting the back, because I think that was the the modus operandi going into this match. You know, is Seth's back going to hold out? But you could notice that there was little points where he would go for specific moves, but then he would change it up slightly because he realised he could hurt his back in the process. So it's it's him being aware of his own limitations a little bit. And obviously Nakamura picks up on the advantage there. But it's kind of like it was kind of like an AJ Styles match from 2018. You know, it great match all round, but the ending just felt a bit flat because in yeah. the back of my mind, I was expecting a priest cash in. Largely because well, obviously there was that uh, off-air exclusive where Nakamura ends up attacking Rollins after the match. I thought that was going to happen on camera. Rollins is reeling, and then Priest runs out to cash in. I mean, it sort of wrote itself, but at the same time, it almost felt a bit too obvious. So maybe they're trying to stretch it out a little bit longer, maybe get it past Fastlane, and maybe have Priest becoming World Heavyweight Champion going into Survivor Series. Maybe, maybe. Um yeah, for the people in the arena, obviously, they, they didn't realise they were all fair. I think they were all expecting a cash-in, but obviously, mm-hmm. uh, to no avail. It looks like with On Raw, with um, Nakamura, you know, goading Seth Rollins out and, you know, injuring the back twice. And then um, Nakamura, sorry, Seth desperate for a match against Nakamura and Adam Pearce saying, I'm trying to protect you from yourself. It looks like this show isn't over yet. This was this was something WWE hasn't done in a while. This was a solid, if not unspectacular, good but not great, uh, B-show. It, you know, we had a good cage match between Becky and mm. um, Becky and Trish. We had a good tag team title match, a world title match where, yeah, when you actually look back at it and you think, yeah, it was obvious Seth was always going to win. But at the mm. same time, yeah, a, good, yeah. a good show. A 7 out of 10 show. Um, yeah. In hindsight... You know, I think you had two main event-worthy matches in the steel cage match and the street fight. I think they overshadowed the World Heavyweight title match a little bit just because of how brilliant they turned out to be. 
Yeah, I think as well, um, Rhea Ripley and Raquel Rodriguez, we've not really touched on that because, again, solid but not spectacular. Um, mm-hmm. And it just kind of felt flat after, you know, the big pyro celebrations after Judgment Day 1. It was like, oh, yeah, and now Rhea has to go defend her title. Um, so, yeah, bit of a weird one there. But we move on to the next night, Sunday, September 3rd, in Chicago, Illinois, at the United Centre, it was AEW's All Out a week after Wembley. There was absolutely no need for there to be 13 matches, but there were. Brace for impact here. I'm going to try to run these very quickly. <laughs> Hangman Page wins the Over the Budget Charity Battle Royal. Last on the <laughs> A six-woman tag team match was won by the team of Hikaru Shida, Willow Nightingale and Sky Blue. The Acclaimed and Billy Gunn retained their, six ma- uh, their AEW World Trios Championship against Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal and the Big Fella. Uh, Better Than You Baby defended the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships against the Dark Order. Samoa Joe defeated Shane Taylor for the uh, for the Ring of Honor World Television Championship. Luchasaurus retained the TNT Championship against Christian Cage. Darby Miro Allen. Against Darby Allen, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Miro defeated Powerhouse Hobbs uh, by submission. Big B, bad standard B. Chris Statlander defeated Ruby Soho to retain her TBS championship. Brian Danielson defeated Ricky Starks in a strap match. Uh, the Blackpool Combat Club defeated Eddie Kingston and Chivata. Uh, Takeshita defeated Kenny Omega in a singles match that was 30 minutes and it was way too long. Uh, Bullet Club Gold defeated FTR and the Young Bucks in an eight-man tag match. And John Moxley defeated Orange Cassidy to win the AEW International Championship. 13 matches... At least half of them didn't need to be on a pay-per-view. But, Dave, what would you like to talk about first? <laughs> I want to talk about the one where the crowd basically hijacked it. Uh, Miro versus Powerhouse Hobbs. Big meaty men slapping meat. Every single chant, meat, 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 meat. <laughs> and it got so rowdy that AEW even released a t-shirt that just says meat on it. <laughs> And I really, really hope that Big E is getting royalties for that because he basically he came it. up with the whole the whole joke of it. And uh, I think it's I think it's kind of poor that AEW is piggybacking off of like a joke that Big E made on the New Day's podcast. But it is Miro versus Hobbs, and it's big meaty men slapping meat. So it's a, it's been a running gag for that long that it just made it. M- it made a really boring match much more enjoyable. Yeah, a really boring rivalry much more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the aftermath of this match because the former Lana, real-life wife of Rusev, CJ Perry, made her AEW debut. I don't think it's controversial to say that Rusev's best run was probably his original run where he had Lana by his side as the, uh, the mouthpiece. Mm-hmm. Interesting to see what her um, what her role will be going forward in AEW. I would really like it if her and Miro, you know, side by side, her leading Miro, you know, maybe to an international championship or another TNT championship. But at the same time, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, I have absolutely no desire to see uh, the former Lana, CJ Perry, wrestle again, okay? I could be wrong. She could have been training in the Heart Dungeon. She could have been in the Lucha Libre schools. She might break out a 450 sharpshooter next time she's in the ring. Good for her. But at the minute, knowing what I know from Lana's run in WWE, I have no interest in seeing her wrestle. Well, 
if you saw the interaction between Miro and CJ Perry, that continuity factor is still there because remember the last time we saw them in WWE, there were basically uh, she was basically cheating on him with Bobby Lashley, like that god awful uh, cuck storyline a little bit. Although actually no, that was Maria and Mike Kanellis a little bit. But the the point still stands. Basically, Lana was cheating on Rusev with Bobby Lashley, and he. The way he interacted with her, it looks like he still hasn't forgiven her for it. Like, that's the con- type of continuity I enjoy. In the same way that, you know, when Malachi Black has his right eye, you know, looking a little bit banged up compared to his other eye. That's continuity from, you know, being rammed into the steel stairs by Seth Rollins in the same year, might I add. Yeah, good to see things carrying on. Let's talk about... Let's talk about the AEW International Championship main eventing. Orange Cassidy took a seemingly... It looked like it was going to be just another belt in AEW. He has defended it against a who's who of wrestlers. And you know what? Fair play to Orange Cassidy because we talk about the pillars of AEW. But he has proven himself to be an absolute pillar of that company. And to main event a pay-per-view with John Moxley... And elevate Orange Cassidy elevated the international championship to a main event spot, and I think he deserves tremendous credit for it because people are saying, "Oh, is it a step down for Moxley?" Well, Moxley's not been winning on TV. Mm-hmm. Moxley's not held a championship in a while. However, who has Orange Cassidy? He's been holding it for ages. He eleven months. Eleven months. He elevated it to a, to a main event a uh, title. And fair play to Orange Cassidy for that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just looking at the list of people he defended the title against. Luchasaurus, Ray Phoenix, Shibata, Jake Hager, QT Marshall, Trent Seven, Kip Sabian, Jay Lethal, Wheeler Utah, Big Bill, Jeff Jarrett, The Butcher, Buddy Matthews, Bandido, Daniel Garcia, Kyle Fletcher, Swerve Strickland, A.R. Fox, Zack Sabre Jr., uh, Shibata, and Lee Moriarty. Like, that's a who's who of literally every major wrestling promotion in North America and even some in Europe. Yeah, no, absolutely, I agree. Um, although he did defend against Japanese people, so you'll need to include Asia. Is that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ja- <laughs> Japan as well, yeah. How could I forget? Um, but yeah, fair play to him. Um, do you see the title being elevated further uh, now that it's around the waist of John Moxley, or where do you see this title going forward? Uh, going going forward, I think it's it's a much needed booster for Blackpool Combat Club because I think they've received the short end of the stick when it comes to getting big wins, etc. Because you know, as you said, Moxley hasn't picked up a lot of big wins lately. Blackpool Combat Club hasn't picked up a lot of big wins lately. You know, they lost at Blood and Guts. They lost the stadium stampede at Wembley. And I think a large part of that is down to not just uh, the Golden Elite, but Best Friends, etc., and Orange Cassidy as well. So it's, I think this is a much needed revival for Blackpool Combat Club, especially now that Brian Danielson's back in the mix as well. So Blackpool Combat Club's now operating at full capacity again. 
Yeah, let's talk about Daniel Bryan going forward. Sorry, Bryan Danielson going forward because he had the strap match against uh, Ricky Starks coming to the aid of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat on Collision. Uh, a big return. It looked like he returned early uh, to help with the CM Punk fallout. Do you see, now that AEW are down, you know, you can think what you like about CM Punk, but he was a face. That's how he was presented. He was a face on AEW. AEW are now down a massive face. Do they turn Daniel Bryan and go back to the, sorry, Bryan Danielson and go back to the Danielson Moxley well? Or do they maybe have Bryan Danielson go back to Ring of Honor? And <laughs> challenge with uh, Claudio, you know, or do you think it's going to be business as usual, the four of them all pals again? I reckon for now, it should be business as usual. Because, I mean, if WWE is running rampant with a heel faction as its top performers, I don't see why AEW can't do the same with that Blackpool Combat Club. You know, have them run amok with the AEW International Championship. Better than you, baby, have got their own program with the, the AEW world title. But I think when you've got that many championships on a promotion that's spread across three different shows, I think you need some standout performers, you know, for Collision, for Dynamite, for Rampage. And I think Blackpool Combat Club has the potential to be the faces of collision now that CM Punk isn't around and a the AEW International Championship can be the primary title. Yeah, no, absolutely, I agree. I, especially see when it's round the waist of someone like Moxley. And I know I said that Orange Cassidy deserves the credit, but Moxley does take it up another level. It's certainly the most prestigious champion on the face of it mm -hmm. that the International Championship has had. Yeah, going definitely. forward, we'll see if um, we'll see if that actually lasts. You know, it could be a case of he has a rubbish reign, and you know we don't remember it fondly. But at the minute, he does look like he's elevated the title. So, we'll be interesting to see uh, stuff moving around on AEW at the minute. They have. I've just seen, I've just seen Orange Cassidy. He's thirty nine years old. Yeah, he looks oh, about yeah. ten years younger. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he still dresses like he's in uni or something. I suppose that was like the, the Miz comment to John Cena at Payback. It's like, he's pushing 50, but he still dresses like a Teletubby. <laughs> um, so, just a wee note before we move on, the first AEW pay-per-view not to feature Chris Jericho in any capacity. Yeah. I also heard that AEW's viewership dropped about 20% following CM Punk's firing. So we'll talk about that in a minute when we get back to CM Punk. But let's talk about the Intercontinental Champion and let's talk about Gunther. Gunther defending the title this past um, this past Monday. Monday on Raw, I should say. say this past Monday on Monday Night Raw. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> Against Chad Gable, he is currently. Thank you. Stop it. Gunther <laughs> currently stands at time of recording. We're recording this on Wednesday. He currently stands at 453 days with the title. The Honky Tonk Man is recorded as 454. He claims it's 455. So either Friday or Saturday will be a, he will officially beat the Honky Tonk Man's record and we will have a new longest reigning IC, type, uh, IC champion. Um, I'm just going to read a wee tweet here which is from Keith Lee. Man, if what I'm hearing is real, poor Walter. 
wonder what Keighley's up to these days anyway. Moving swiftly on, Dave, what do you think of Gunther as your new longest reigning Intercontinental Champion? You know what? It's thoroughly earned. Like, ever since he stepped foot in NXT UK, you knew that Walter slash Gunther was going to be a big deal. You know, he's one of the most accomplished wrestlers in all of Europe and the world, for that matter. He's only ever, as far as I'm aware, he's only ever been beaten clean once against Ilya Dragunov when he dropped the NXT UK title in singles matches, of course. And ever since June of last year, he has put on banger after banger after banger after banger when it comes to not just amazing in-ring performances, five-star quality near enough every time, but he tells a really, really good story for each of these matches in that, you know, he obviously gets the upper hand because he's bigger, he's stronger than most of his opponents. But then he allows a little bit of breathing room just to give them a little bit of uh, a little bit of doubt to say, oh, wait a minute, could this underdog finally dethrone the big bad Austrian anomaly? But then lo and behold, he pulls out a winner last minute, whether it's a sleeper hold, a lariat, the powerbomb, the big splash. Like, the guy's a chameleon. You know, he can adapt to any opponent to any scenario and i cannot for the life of me name a bad match that he's had doesn't matter if it is if it's in the intercontinental title reign or any other match for that matter the guy is just so damn good at what he does and i think this longest reigning title reign has been thoroughly deserved yeah no absolutely he's been presented on the main roster under triple h um the exact same way he was in NXT, although I would point out it was Vince McMahon that first gave him the championship. So mm. maybe Vince McMahon saw the dedication that uh, Gunther had to improving himself compared to that of Keith Lee. Because we saw the Keith Lee documentary where he's like, oh, look what I've got here. But if you earn it, I can give you even more. Mm. Gunther has earned it. He's got even more. Yeah. Um, who do you think dethrones him? Because we had this chat... Uh, earlier on in our group chat, uh, David Campbell was saying, and I'm, I'm just, I'll double check after I say this because he does phone his lawyer every time I misquote him on these shows. <laughs> Doctor um, lawyer. Yeah. So David Danny McGrain Campbell was sitting in the corner, and he told me <laughs> that <laughs> that he doesn't think it should be Chad Gable. He thinks it should be Jey Uso. Do you I mean, think it should be Jey Uso to end the reign or? Who do you think should end uh, Gunther's reign? I'm inclined to agree with Jey Uso, especially if they're trying to push him as a singles guy. And he has a ton of fan support behind him. I mean, did you see the way he worked the crowd, both on Raw and at SummerSlam, you know, the the hand bopping? Like, I don't think I've seen that much interaction with a wrestler's taunts other than maybe John Cena. So it's, the guy can work a crowd like magic, and it wouldn't surprise me, you know, and, and he can hold his own as a singles guy. He can hold his, own, hold his own with big names, especially like Roman Reigns, for example. Uh, but a part of me still thinks the Chad Gable story isn't over because I think he won over a lot of people despite losing. Nah, I, I, you know, it's a, it's a nice story. And I think had Gunther not, had Gunther maybe had a couple of losses in there, or had Gunther, you know, maybe been holding the title only a few months, Chad Gable winning the title from him would be a good thing. 
But I just think Gunther's on another level now. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how Jay Russo is on an absolutely other level right now. Oh, yeah. I just think that Gunther benefits if he loses to someone bigger than him at the minute. And, you know, Jay Russo has been in the biggest storyline in WWE for the past three years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think a Jay Russo, maybe, maybe a Cody Rhodes, maybe, to give him mm-hmm. something to do. I don't know. I think there have been rumours that Jay's move to Raw was the result of a trade and that somebody else was going to SmackDown. Now, all signs point to Cody being drafted to SmackDown as a result because then that way it sets up the WrestleMania rematch way down the line. Uh, But whoever Gunther drops the title to, they will have earned it. And... But at the same time, I don't think it'll damage his credibility that much because he's been undefeated on the main roster. He set the record for longest reigning IC champion. He's got the longest time in a 30-man Royal Rumble, despite not winning. This guy, has, the sky's the limit for Gunther. So I think he's only going to move on to bigger and better things whilst elevating somebody else in the process. Yeah, I agree. Um so all signs point to Jay Uso, but you know what? See if Chad Gable did earn it. I, I know I said all that stuff about you know what oh, needs to be someone bigger in the moment, which is what the important thing is with wrestling. Mm. I wouldn't exactly hate it. Let's no, talk about something either. else. Let's talk about something else we wouldn't exactly hate, which is Becky Lynch as NXT Women's Champion. Becky Lynch, the only one of the original four horsemen of NXT never to win the NXT Championship. Tiffany Stratton's been running her mouth and calling her out, saying she's a better champion than Becky Lynch ever was, uh, pointing out that Becky Lynch never won that title. She defended the title this past week on NXT against Keanu James in the opening match, only for Becky Lynch to appear on the Titantron and call her out for a title match next week. Dave, what do you think about uh, Becky Lynch taking some time away from the main roster after the Trish feud and going on NXT and being the champion for a while? I'm quite interested in it, actually, because it allows Becky to tie up some loose ends, you know, from the start of her career. You know, she's been on the main roster eight years now. She never won the NXT women's title. And I think this is a time to really fully, fully stack her resume with all the accomplishments that you could ask for. The one exception, obviously, being NXT women's tag champions. But those are retired now in favor of just the, the regular women's tag titles. Um, but what a rub for for Tiffany Stratton as well. You know, she's she's arguably been the the fastest rising star over the past year on NXT. You know, going and I've said this many times before. I wasn't a fan of her daddy's girl gimmick to start off with, but she's elevated into one hell of a performer. And that moonsault, oh, chef's kiss! It's glorious to to watch. It's like it in slow motion. So I think this will be a very good showcasing for for both of them. Tiffany, you know, gets to have a match with one of the best of all time. Becky gets to fill a, a void in her title resume. So I'm curious to see where this goes. Well, there is obviously a pay-per-view coming up for NXT on September 30th. Uh, no Mercy makes its return as a premium live event on WWE Network. You could still have... Tiffany win the title back and someone cost Becky Lynch because she is coming out that Trish Stratus feud. Mm. I think anything else on Raw and SmackDown just now feels like a downgrade or feels like, you know, a rehash. You know, going into a feud with Zoe Stark, you know, 
it's like fighting the underboss once you've fought the boss. You know what I mean? It, it's it's doing things the opposite way about. Mm. So, yeah, it'd, it'd be good to see her in NXT for a wee while, maybe win yeah. the title. Uh, Someone in NXT it's... could cost her the title and then she could have a wee feud with them, mm-hmm. go back up to the main roster, maybe around Royal Rumble time. Yeah. Well, there's no harm in, you know, beating the final boss, you know, the legend that is Trish Stratus in the, in the cage of death. But it's... It's almost like that stage where you beat the final boss and then you tie up any loose ends in order to achieve 100%. You know, I'm, I'm talking video game lingo here, but I'm used to this, uh, that sort of chat. So I can you see... You also just repeated my point, so we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> I have a habit of doing that too. That's all right. We'll, we'll forgive you this time. Let's talk... Well, let's go from NXT to TNA, Impact Wrestling, celebrating 1,000 episodes. Uh, I don't know if it's being taped Saturday, September 9th for the Thursday after, or if it's going to be a live uh, Impact 1000. They have got a pay-per-view. They've got Victory Road coming uh, the night before, uh, Friday, September 8th. However, some of the highlights for Impact's 1,000th episode... Uh, Tracy Brooks makes a return in a mixed tag team match, teaming with her husband Kazarian to take on the uh, the wife and husband and wife duo of Eddie Edwards and Alicia. The return of Feaster Fired uh, will be on the Impact's 1000 show, as will an Ultimate X match, a Impact 1000 showcase match for the uh, the Knockouts division. You'll have Trinity, Jordan Grace, Awesome Kong, Gail Kim, and a mystery partner taking on Diana Perrazzo, Giselle Shaw, Savannah Evans, Angelina Love, and accompanying Angelina Love to the ring is Velvet Sky. There's two mystery partners to be announced. And the night after, the motorcycle machine guns take on the Rascals for the Impact Tag Team Championships. Alex Shelley defends his Impact Knockout World Championship against Trey Miguel. So, an absolutely stacked show. Um, this is this is huge for Impact because you know Scott and I have spoke about the the gradual progression. You know, getting their house in order at the end of 2019, starting to you know make some waves in 2020, and then they are continually putting on just great TV. There have been some missteps here and there, you know, being Scott criticised the overuse of um, Scott Demore and the overuse of Billy Ray, but overall, mostly solid product, and it's amazing to see them get to this stage, considering the absolute financial hole Dixie Carter put them in. Oh, for sure, yeah, like, Impact has just been the company that could, the little company that could, you know, it's... It's been plodding along for 20 plus years. It's had its ups and downs. It's had its reinventions from, you know, TNA, NWA, Impact Wrestling, Global Force, Global Impact. It's, but it's kept going despite the hardships. And I think it's really great to see that they've made it to a thousand episodes and that they were actually bringing back some legends to compete rather than just, you know, Whenever WWE does a milestone episode, they just bring back legends for appearances and stuff. But in all fairness, you know, they'll be like long since retired. Some of these people can still go, you know, especially with the names like Gail Kim, Angelina Love, Team 3D as well are being brought back in. It's it goes to show they're, they're still acknowledging everybody who contributed to Impact being a success. And that main event. You know, Alex Shelley, Trey Miguel, that's potentially a show stealer in itself. 
But it's it's nice they're bringing back the other concepts as well, like Ultimate X or Feast or Fired, you know, because these are the things that made Impact Wrestling unique. And being able to showcase that along with the people that did it is there's no better way to celebrate such a big milestone. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously Victory Road the night before, well worth tuning into. Seven matches announced as as of a time of recording. Dave, I know you don't watch it that much to preview it with me, so I'll just <laughs> I'll wait till Scott's on next week and we'll review it yeah. together. But I'll just I'll let you know what's happening on the show in case anyone wishes to tune in. Trinity, uh, successfully after defeating Tiana Perazzo twice in a row, the only person ever to do so, defends her Impact's Knockout World Championship against Alicia Edwards. Tiana Perazzo takes on Jordan Grace and Jordan Grace's comeback match. Leo Rush defends the Impact X Division Championship against Kushida. The Rascals defend the Impact World Tag Team Championship, as we said, against the Mortar City Machine Guns. Kenny King takes on Tommy Dreamer in a title versus career match for the Impact Digital Media Championship. Let's go, Kenny. And Josh Alexander taking on Steve Macklin in a singles match. I think this will be a number one contenders match. Steve Macklin losing the title to Alex Shelley, but not getting his rematch. Josh Alexander never losing the title. And Billy Ray versus PCO in an anything goes match. I mean, I mean, I, I, the things I do criticise about Impact are the overuse of PCO and Billy Ray. However, if you put them both in a feud with each other, it's sort of like containing containing the shit thing to one corner of the show. And if it's an anything goes match, I will watch it for a wee tables match. Um, oh, that's another thing for Impact 1000. Team 3D will reunite for the first time in seven years. Uh, they've put an open challenge out there, so it'll be interesting to see who takes them up on their open yeah. challenge. I just, I just um, wish if Bobby Roode wasn't under WWE contract as a producer, I would have loved to see them go up against Motors. Uh, no, um, beer money. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, someone who will be appearing in Impact Wrestling, though, is Will Osprey, fresh off his win at Wembley against. Uh, Chris Jericho. He will be appearing at AEW. Impact Wrestling's Bound for Glory event. It will take place October 21st in the Cicero Stadium in Chicago, Illinois. Dave, you know who else is from Chicago? Who? Coke Cabana. Anyway, moving on. Ah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, Will Osprey and Impact Wrestling. I thought you were going to say Chris team. Anthony Lopez, but I digress. <laughs> Interesting to see if he'll show up. Um, on the Impact 1000 and interesting to see if maybe someone else shows up on the is night. Is he currently signed with a, like, exclusively signed with a specific promotion or is he pretty much uh, an ad hoc wrestler? I think he has a New Japan contract, but New Japan and AAA and Impact all have, like, a working relationship. Uh, Sanada has just wrestled uh, Jake something at Emergence and was in a six-man tag on Impact this last uh, this past week so it's sort of a come and go sort of thing it's like forbidden door without making a thing of it mm-hmm. yeah like yeah. and even just seeing Will Ospreay compete at All In you know I only see I only saw him do a Fatal 4 match in New Japan which was I think it was Wrestle Kingdom 12 or 11 one of the two but that match and the match at All In are the only matches I've ever seen him compete in and I've and I'm already a fan now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, let's talk about CM Punk, also from Chicago. No reason I'm mentioning yeah. that. And now it's time for, what's Punk up to? <laughs> well, our, the return of our big question 
um, last week on our emergency punk cast. So I was asking people, was Tony Khan right to fire CM Punk? So Stephen Strachan and I had a, a wee back and forward. He said, honestly, right call. Punk fought with everyone and anyone backstage. Triple H called it. So did Mox and Seth Rollins. Is he a massive fan favourite? Yes. But we don't need to put up with his bullshit at work. So easy for us to say Tony was wrong, but he needs to think of his employees and his reputation. And this is this is where I take... Not Umbrish at Strack, by the way. This is Strack's just gave me his opinion. But the Tony Khan thing where it was my opinion and my opinion only. My response was, I understand where Stephen's coming from, but the issues then flip back on Tony. He said on Thursday before All Out, the day before fire, uh, two days before firing CM Punk, that on the All Out media call, he would wait to see if Punk was on the show at the weekend or not. AEW posted a photo to their official Instagram page on Friday, advertising collision tapings with Punk front and centre. He claimed the decision was his and his alone, but he only fired Punk after a year, a year of issues and incidents after a legal team and committee told him he had to. Not only that, but he did it three and a half hours before they went on air in Punk's hometown and a weekend of shows that advertised Punk. I thought that was a weak management that led, to, that led issues stew for a year and only fired him when other people told him it was only his only option. Uh, Strack's response was, Definitely the timing could have been miles better, but I agree with you on the management side. They need to be start being more boss than buddies. Ross Cummings had a simple one-word answer. It was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ryan Dalgleish says, correct call for me personally, but feel the decision doesn't match TK's call on similar matters previously. I hope it's a sign of change with these decision decision makings. And these matters, sorry, and these matters rather than inconsistency. I agree with that. Um, Kwaku Aju said, It's about bloody time, if you ask me. Last week you said that Jack Perry was the least strong of the four pillars. Well, he's just ended CM Punk's career. That. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. I'm going to read Anthony Fitzpatrick's last because he is an absolute essay here. And I have a cheek after I, you know, just read an essay there. But anyway. <laughs> uh, Robert Shaw said it was the right call, but for the wrong reasons. Can was weak throughout the year The year with this whole tobacco. He needs to be stronger, a lot stronger, and detach himself from being their friend. He has to lead by example. If Punk, Omega and the Bucks all, all threw hands, then he all should have walked if there was evidence. If this happened in a normal working environment, then he all would have been sacked for bringing the business into disrepute. Going forward, a clean break will help all parties, but unless AEW get firmer with the wrestlers, then it will likely happen again. Maybe not as high profile given Punk is involved, but it will happen. As for Punk, he would be best suited with WWE where they keep a firmer grip on things. Whether or not uh, parties would be willing to explore this uh, further remains to be seen. But overall, Punk's era in AEW will likely go down as a big success, but with a very big asterisk. Uh, Adam Callier also has a, a long answer. He says yes, full stop. <laughs> Thanks for that, Adam. Um <laughs> Uh, Anthony, Anthony Fitzpatrick says apologies for the many essays on this one apology not accepted but we're going to read it anyway he said it's the correct call shouldn't have taken a year for TK to find his spine though the reason he mentioned but the reasoning he mentioned is a bit iffy for me Brawl Out was more or less a year ago and ever since then there's been issue after issue with Pepsi Phil <laughs> Uh, also to announce the decision on the weekend where they have events in Punk's hometown on consecutive nights is just baffling he should have gone a year ago 
So another weekend wouldn't have mattered. This whole ordeal just screams at TK's inexperience. Just as an example, if this sort of thing happened at a football team, the more experienced heads who have been in football for decades would surely have had a speedy solution. It's surprising that the likes of JR, Shivani, Arn Anderson, Jerry Lynn and Paul Wright, to name a few, haven't done this. In fairness to those guys, Mark Henry did say if he was running the company, uh, he wouldn't have brought the elite back till he agreed to sit down and with CM Punk. So I think some of the more experienced heads maybe had advice to give. Tony Khan didn't want to listen, but... Just fell on deaf ears. Yeah, we've um, obviously had more news from the CM Punk uh, stuff since then. Collision, this past Friday. The opening quarter of this past Saturday's episode of AEW Collision drew uh, 472,000 viewers uh, after Tony Khan announced he had fired CM Punk. 89,000 people tuned out, down to 383,000 viewers, a loss of 19%. The show went below 250,000 viewers by the end of the final full quarter. Now, this is according to PW Insider. I'm sure that people will point out, and possibly rightfully so, they were going up against a WWE pay-per-view on the same night. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I tuned in to Collision before putting uh, before watching payback on tape delay because I needed to see the start of this. I needed to see the crowd. I needed to see what happens. And when Tony Khan comes on the screen saying that he's fearing for his life, which is hilarious by the way, I just think, wow, like I think a lot of people were like me, they have to tune into the opening bit before putting the WWE pay-per-view back on. But it will be interesting to see because there is also Sean Ross Sapp reporting that the soft roster split is ending and it looks like Collision, uh, other people will appear on Collision. The Young Bucks appeared uh, this past Saturday, childishly doing a victory lap, it seemed, like, around the ring. Morons, I'd have found them right on the spot. Um, but yeah, it, it just... <laughs> This is where we, we talk about you need firmer management because you've given Punk his own TV show because him and the elite can't get on. And then he leaves and, you know, Rampage already lost the the sparkle. You know what I mean? like It felt like a different show before just becoming another show. Is that what's going to happen with Collision? Is it just going to be... Do you remember for a while when we just had Raw? There was no brand split in WWE, so Raw, SmackDown was sort of the the cast-offs, and then you had like superstars and main event. That is that what AEW is going to feel like? I think so, yeah. Because remember when WWE Superstars, the third show, launched in, I think it was 2012? Yeah. Like, the main event for that first show was CM Punk versus Sheamus, Oh, no, that was WWE uh, and World Heavyweight Champion at the time, but that was main event. It was main event. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's what I, is that what I said? You said superstars, but I, oh. I do get what you mean because, like, superstars when it launched, one of its first main events was Undertaker versus Matt Hardy. So, like, yeah, WWE have a, a, a history of doing this, launching yeah. big new shows and then just kind of letting it go by the wayside. Get the big names in, you know, get a, a nice little rating spike for its first show, but then it's just. It's reduced to the it's reduced to scraps. You know, you have JTG and Shad 
culminating their feud on WWE Superstars. And, you know, main event, you know, was just for the... Was essentially, it became the new version of Heat and Velocity for for WWE. Like, Collision or Rampage are in a very dangerous spot of becoming that. You know, one of them could be the Heat or Velocity. The other could be the SmackDown when Raw was its was it Super Show version in 2011. Yeah. Fun fact, that uh, main event you mentioned, Punk versus Sheamus, was actually the first match ever on a oh. WWE main event. Do you know what the first ever main event of a of a main event was? <laughs> <laughs> Dare I ask? It was Team Cobro, Santino and Zack Ryder advancing Fuck to the me. quarterfinals of the WWE Tag Team Championship Number One Contendership Tournament, defeating the team of Justin Gabriel and Tyson Kidd. Yeah, yep. I actually remember that. Bit of useless wrestling trivia here for you. Um, and the winning team of that tournament was to face Team Hell No, and it turned out to be Team Road Scholars. Cody yep. Rhodes and Sandow, who defeated the Usos in the first round. They are fun, fun facts all round. <laughs> <laughs> I think that shows how done we are with this punk drama that we're talking about WWE tag title tournaments from 2012. But anyway, moving swiftly on, we're going to round up there. Um, a shorter episode this week because obviously we had all the fallout from All Out. Then we had all the punk drama. So I think everything else is just <laughs> secondary at the moment. But um, let's find a big question for the week. I tell you what, here's a big question for you. Mm-hmm. John Cena's returning to SmackDown for the next seven to eight weeks. Seven to eight weeks, that is not seven to eight weeks. Calm yourself. Not a year and a uh, half. <laughs> um, who would you like to see John Cena face during this run, uh, which could possibly be one of his last runs in WWE? Uh, let us know on each Sleep Suplex retweet, or at Suplex retweet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you name it, we're on it. Let us know who you would like to see face John Cena in his latest run on SmackDown. If you want to listen to a massive back catalogue, then it's Eat Sleep Suplex retweet, Android, iTunes, and Spotify. David, thank you for joining us for a slightly smaller version of Central this week. No, thank you for having me yet again. Right, and we will see you next week when we review Impact 1000 and look ahead to more CM Punk drama. <laughs> Hi, I'm Scott McLeod. And I'm Grant McGrobby. We are the hosts of the monthly show on Eat Superplex Retreat East Meets West. Where we'll bring you all the latest happenings, reviews and big events from New Japan and the land of the Far East. You can remember to check that out on the Eat Superplex Retreat podcast feed on all good Android podcasting sites like Anchor, Spotify or iTunes now. Podcast Network.